Hey Steve, it's Rick from Fredericton, New Brunswick. I uh, just want to give you a quick shout. Congratulations on the new My Back 40 podcast. Been listening since you uh, got on the Bikepack Canada. Now I've subscribed to your new platform and look forward to all the new episodes. So congrats. Cheers. Hello again, friends. Welcome to My Back 40 and the My Back 40 podcast. I'm your host, Steve O'Shaughnessy. Rick Stinson, thanks so much for that voice memo. I love it. Keep them coming, people. Um, I think it adds a cool dimension to the beginning of the podcast, letting people know kind of what they're up to out there in in COVID land. (laughs) I hope everyone's doing okay. I hope you're all staying well and uh, taking care of each other. Super important during these times to be kind and courteous generous with your time and uh, just help each other out so we can get through all this bullshit. And I'm sure we will eventually. But in the meantime, we can ride bikes and listen to podcasts as long as we're socially distanced from others. So I would encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. I'm going to be trying to put them out weekly. I have been putting them out weekly. Uh, This is going to be an exception this episode, but uh, we'll talk about that in a second. But uh, yeah, please subscribe, share, rate and review the My Back 40 podcast to help me grow. Um, I'm exploring my curiosities on this podcast and they include endurance athletics, uh, training, nutrition, uh, mental health, um, ayahuasca retreats, (laughs) just whatever interests me. And uh, I'm hoping that the things that interest me may also spark some interest in you. And uh, I think it doesn't matter who I talk to, I seem to learn something from them. It doesn't matter what the discipline is or what we're talking about. Everyone has a story. And I think it's interesting listening to those people's stories and um, unpacking them a little and maybe integrating some of the things that they learn in their lives into our lives. And uh, I think it just helps us to be maybe better humans. I'm not sure. That's the idea anyway. But um, I guess what I wanted to uh, say about today's podcast is um, a lot of the podcasts I do are fairly uh, evergreen. Uh, there's no real chronological context to them. You could kind of put them out uh, at any time, but, uh, as of late with, for instance, Leonard's podcast talking about this summer in the BC Epic and, um, this one, uh, discussion with, uh, Matt Bain, sports psychologist and clinical practitioner. I, I think it was relevant to get this podcast out sooner than later. Uh, everyone's kind of going through tough times right now and everyone's feeling a lot of stress and anxiety, Um, whether they're showing it on the surface or not, I think underneath our skin and in our consciousness, some of us are freaking out a little bit. Um, I've said this before, but I think I lie in the spectrum of kind of in the middle, like I'm not complacent and I'm not freaking out buying all the meat and the toilet paper in the grocery store. Uh, I'm kind of in the middle common sense, I think goes a long way. And, uh, I feel grateful that I have my family around me to uh, keep me grounded and keep me focused on, on the things that, that are important. And in this podcast with Matt, we discuss uh, basically coping strategies, you know, how to deal with, um, you know, being out of work, um, being with your family more, uh, homeschooling the kids, um, and then coping with some of the stress that we feel, especially, you know, I've been pretty vocal online about the, about the traveling during the, uh, I mean, we're not in lockdown by any stretch of the imagination, but really people shouldn't be traveling. And I live in a small mountain town called Invermere and, you know, around me, there's other small mountain towns, 
uh, all over like, uh, you know, um, uh, Revy, Revelstoke, uh, Golden, you know, Invermere, Kimberly, you know, Cranbrook's a bigger city, but uh, very popular travel destination, especially during this, um, the past long weekend here. It would seem that a lot of people actually stayed home and it was great to see. The sad part about that is a lot of these mountain towns uh, rely on tourist dollars. So when, when we tell you not to come to our mountain town, it's, um, it's a double-edged sword because we, we want to be, we want to be well and we want to stop the spread and flatten the curve. But we have a lot of businesses in these small mountain towns that are really struggling. So if you can support your local business, um, thank the people who are serving you still, um, because they're putting their lives on the line by basically taking our money at the grocery store for food or merchandising the shelves or, um, yeah, so <clears throat> let's just be grateful and kind. And uh, I think it's really important to do that. So yeah, with, with this podcast, we discuss a lot of coping strategies um, about how to get through today's times. And um, I think it's it's going to be enjoyable. I don't think we mentioned bikes at all in here. So just, just to be forewarned. That said, I would encourage all of you to listen to this podcast. And um, there's, just, there's a lot of great takeaways in it. So I, I really hope you guys enjoy it. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But first, Ryan Draper of Cycling 101 wants to talk to you about resources. Have a listen. Hello, my Back 40 podcast listeners. This is Ryan from Cycling 101 in snowy Canmore, Alberta. Uh, today, I wanted to chat a little bit about resources. So resources, in my mind, are... Uh, really varied. So a resource can be uh, a podcast like you're listening to now, uh, audiobook, a hardcover book or manual, uh, maybe a Google search, um, mentors, uh, a coach, a personal trainer, uh, can be a whole variety of uh, different, um, you know, uh, types of resources that bring different types of information to you. Um, what I wanted to share today to do with resources was really about how to navigate some of the resources that you'll find in uh, health, fitness, nutrition, uh, even bikepacking. So I want to rewind a little bit to uh, my first year of university. My first year of university, I took a course and it was called Perspectives. And Perspectives for me was a, a very... Uh, game-changing uh, uh, a course that I took. It really was all about taking resources or information that come your way as an academic and being able to interpret what is maybe biased, maybe what is opinion uh, versus what is actual fact. And so sometimes it's really hard to differentiate between which is which. So one of the tactics that we learned in our perspectives class was to look for something we like to call the common thread. And the common thread is when we have maybe, let's use the example of nutrition. We have five nutrition books all written by different uh, authors and all written in different years. So let's say over the span of a decade, five books are written, all different authors with different amounts of experience, uh, knowledge, and uh, you know, come from obviously different places. All of those books are going to contain some 
well, typically fairly radical uh, suggestions and probably some, some things that are what we would call the common thread. So for instance, if we looked at maybe in the nutrition uh, books, we might find a common thread about some strategic uh, hydration strategies. And those strategies, when you start to look at them, you'll probably find that the daily recommended amounts of, of, of water or sodium or electrolytes to um, you know, be the, the, the top way to hydrate might you know, kind of be very similar throughout all five of those books. So that information, that common thread that pulls through all five of those is something that I would personally um, be able to weight more and rely a little bit heavier on with my um, you know, own personal experiences or maybe recommendations. But what we have to watch out for is kind of the more radical um, you know, bits of information to, um, you know, that each of the, the books might um, might uh, might contain. So we want to really make sure that we we look at those critically. We do our research and try and find out as much as we can about those um, those things before we get into uh, what I would consider to be the the next level of of implementation or self exploration. And um, yeah, kind of going from there. So resources are are super. Uh, available to us, but one of the things um, that I'd really like, uh, you know, to to kind of get across, uh, you know, with this um, little message is to try and find the common threads. And from there, I think you'll have a lot more success navigating uh, so many of the different topics, whether it's, you know, health, fitness, wellness, nutrition, hydration, whatever it might be. Um, Yeah, just a little tidbit. I hope you enjoyed and we will chat with you soon. Thanks, Ryan. I think uh, that information is pretty timely for what we're going through right now. I know a lot of you are, well, I know I do. Every morning I look at the news, I check out to see what's going on online in the world of of uh, the pandemic. And I think what it's done for me is allowed me to practice my critical thinking. Uh, there's a lot of bullshit out there uh, in the information that we try to absorb. And uh, whether it be you know, radical training and nutrition strategies, or whether it be different media outlets pumping out stuff about COVID that is just clickbait. But um, regardless, yeah, it's important to think critically about the information that you uh, collect. And um, yeah, I think that's really good advice that Ryan had to give. And if, if you want to talk to Ryan, if you want a training consultation or a bike fit, you can reach out to Cycling 101 and use the promo code 101VIP20 to save 20% off a service. So thanks, Ryan, for that. And I'll be bringing you more spots like that uh, in the weeks to come. And I really hope you enjoy them. So let's get to it. Matt Bain. Um, Matt Bain and I talked on the Bike Pack Canada podcast back in episode 61, I believe it was. And it had to do with um, the mechanics of motivation. It's like, what motivates people? And, and uh, how are different personality types um, motivated by a coach. And uh, it turns out it's pretty interesting. I, I would encourage you to go back to listen to that podcast. It was super fun. Um, this one's a little different. I don't know if we talk about bikes at all in here. I don't think so. But like I said, at the outset of this podcast, I'm exploring my curiosities and not everything's going to be about bikes. But I think that this conversation is uh, timely and very relevant. And I came out the other side feeling a lot better about things. Maybe I just needed some therapy, <laughs> but uh, I love talking to Matt Bain. He's a 
uh, sports psychologist and clinical practitioner. And uh, we always have a fantastic chat and, and I, I love talking to him and I'm sure you're going to like it as well. So please sit back, grab a coffee or saddle up and go for a ride and listen to the stoic words of psychologist Matthew Bain. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Thanks for connecting. Oh, and, and it goes both ways. I'm, I'm sorry of the uh, oh. number of times we've had to shift. <laughs> it's been, um, it's been crazy. It's been super crazy times, right? <clears throat> yeah. It's well unprecedented, right? That, that I know of anyway. So yeah. And how are you doing? I'm doing well. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm very thankful. I think one of the hardest things that I think I forget is that I feel everybody knows everything that I do. And I'm really, really thankful for a lot of the skills that I have that are just ingrained. And I'm, and I, and I need to remember that not everybody has those same skills myself. You know, I go back 15 years and and visit myself at that point in time. And I think how I would be different. And that is such a, it's such an ideological shift. So I'm very, very conscious and and empathic to how people are doing. Um, And me too. It's not easy. Well, we had kind of talked a little bit before we connected kind of what what we wanted to talk about. And I kind of mentioned, you know, like, uh, admittedly, I've been feeling just just a a slightly higher level of anxiety and Mm -hmm. um, trying to trying to cope with that. And then also trying not to uh, try not to project that onto the kids. I'm finding really difficult because, you know, it's, you know, my kids are five and almost seven and, you know, this is new for them too. And I was talking Mm -hmm. to my boy the other day and I was just saying, you know, things are weird right now, little man. And it's like mommy and daddy are having a hard time with this too. Like this is a big adjustment for everybody, but you know what? I go, you guys are doing awesome. And they, they are Mm -hmm. like, they're, they're adjusting really well Mm -hmm. to, to the, uh, to the change. Um, like, are you, are you kind of, as a practitioner, are you getting that sense? Like just this higher level of anxiety in people? Oh yeah. Um, I think I've seen it kind of twofold as the, the already anxious population, the very anxious population has, has kind of a double-edged sword on one hand, their, their heightened anxiety already exists, but on the other hand, they're all, they're, they're recognizing that, Hey, everybody welcome to the world that we live in. <laughs> and then yeah. the not anxious population has become hyper aware of things that they didn't know that they really needed to do or didn't know even they, they did. Like one of the things on the Canadian psychological association uh, fact sheets is like, you know, do I really touch my face that much? And like, yes, you do. Yeah, you absolutely do. And you can't anymore. And now people are like stopping themselves, you know, a hundred times a day. And they're like, God, I never stop touching my face face this is ridiculous and that's the part i think that that the not traditionally anxious people the the not trade anxious people are really experiencing a heightened level of awareness that maybe wasn't there in the first place or that they didn't feel they needed in the first place so anxiety has always kept us around like it served a great purpose but in some cases it, it really does inhibit our ability to function well or, or, or function efficiently. Cause you're yeah. now you're just, you're spending so much energy to think like, I remember this was maybe two or three weeks ago. I was walking down the street and saw a friend I hadn't seen for a while. And it's like, Hey, and it was like the hug. And it was like, Oh, I guess we're not supposed to do that. It was just, it was 
automatic. It was just like completely automatic and even reaching out for people's hands to shake Mm -hmm. hands with people, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, um, it's hardwired, right? So Mm -hmm. now, now we're all forced in a really short period of time to, um, change these habits that have been just trenched into us for decades, like depending on how old you are. Right. Um, are you finding that there's a, obviously I perceive a, a difference between the age demographic of, uh, people who are like just the way that people are behaving or changing their behaviors. Do you find it, you know, I'm sensing that the younger folks and I can appreciate it. Like you said, being empathic, you know, just talking to a buddy the other day and it's like, man, if we were 20, we'd be driving around with our friends in the car, you know, like Mm -hmm. it's not, it it doesn't seem to sink in as much. You seeing that as well. I think it took a little more time. Mm. Um, I think because it, it just like any kind of youthful generation, right. It's, you know, no matter what that generation was, we all came through that time and we all felt the same way, you know, 10 feet tall and bulletproof. And when, when something is going to change your mind, that's the part that I'm finding really interesting with young people is that they're, they're courageous, but they're informed Mm. as, whereas like, I don't know that I would have been the informed one. (laughs) I would have just been courageous or perceived to be courageous, which is on the other side of, you know, not intelligent. Um, and where I think you saw some changes is when they realized that this isn't unique to older populations, uh, at-risk populations or high-risk populations, that reality had to be proven. <clears throat> and that's not a great reality to prove. So when younger people started getting sick or started getting symptoms, there was a real break for people. And they went, okay, this maybe isn't a good decision. Um, you know, early messaging in the media was that this was, you know, older populations and they're the high risk and there's only 3% and blah, blah, blah. And so it really took to a real shaming uh, media campaigns to try to get people to change. Mm. And the younger populations aren't going to be shamed into changing. There needed to be something that they can identify with. And, and I think when you've seen younger people getting ill, uh, that's really shifted, um, really shifted some people. But I think... Ultimately, I, I feel our younger populations have uh, a greater deal of empathy than and, and understanding and acceptance than maybe any generation. And we've also seen a greater level of social responsibility from our younger generation. It's just now the rubber hits the road with what social responsibility and empathy lo- really looks like. It's not about, you know, you not getting sick. It's about you not making someone else sick. Mm-hmm. And that one really sunk in for a lot of people. So it's, it's been an interesting, like, you know, initially, I think there was the, the spring break parties and things like that that were going on. It really got a lot of heightened and, and anger going for people. But I think that, I don't think that was everybody. I think that was like any generation. Mm-hmm. I think it was a small snippet of the population. But I think the majority of young people, they're just, you know, they need to see something that affects them. And when it does, it really sinks at home. So yeah. at least that's what my experience is. Well, I, I agree that I think, um, the um the media is portraying you know the extreme side of it right like you're only really seeing like you say just a handful of people but i think what what makes me anxious about the whole thing is that it doesn't take that much it doesn't take that many people to like set off a hot spot and we think of you know i've i've been fairly vocal online i live in a in a mountain town mm-hmm. and a lot of the mountain towns are just like please just please stay away 
Yeah. And um, I'm super anxious this weekend because I know I've seen it happening. People, just the flood of people coming into Invermere and it's, it makes me anxious. And it's like, you know, we're going to, you know, now we've got four days off together. I mean, that, the one bonus of all this <laughs> is for me, for personally, is that, you know, Chris, uh, her, or she's out of work, her part-time work. And um, mm-hmm. now on weekends, we have family time. And yeah. sorry to kind of tangent there, but that's been so nice just to be able to, you know, at any point in my life, I've never been so grateful to have, you know, my family around because you have people mm-hmm. that you can connect with and be close to. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the the whole travel thing has been a real source of anxiety for for us in the in the mountain town. Am I having a hard time like putting the blinders up? You know, mm-hmm. and but yeah, I, I I would I would say you shouldn't have to. Like, I think there's there's a level of social responsibility that you know populations migrating from one place to another are no different than people going from Houston to to Calgary. You know, if you come from Edmonton or Calgary to Invermere, it's like, okay, now we're out of Calgary. Calgary's the hotspot. Well, the reason why the hotspot was a hotspot in the first place is the very thing that you're doing to another center, you know? And, and I think that's, there's a, there's a level of social responsibility, I think, that's coming, but not everybody shares it. And the social responsibility part is that, you know, okay, I live in wherever, I live in X, but I'm going to go to Invermere no, you're not going to go to Invermere. Like you don't get to go from one place to another just simply out of principle or because you have an escapist attitude. Mm-hmm. That, 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 you know, isolation part of it is important to adhere to because there are people that aren't influenced by you <laughs> and then you come into the community, you know? And I, I so I, I don't think you should put blinders on. I think there's a level of social responsibility that people should be taking regardless of, they own a condo or there's a great place there. They have a B and B or whatever. Those are still not things that, that I think people should be, you know, doing right at this time. Yeah. I think people justify it because they, they own a second home and yeah. they pay taxes there. And I'm just like, well, this isn't your primary residence, you know, yeah. like, um, we're, we haven't gone anywhere. Like the only place we've been going is like, I've been riding in the woods or we go to the grocery store mm-hmm. You know, we don't, we don't think, or, you know, Chris will go for a walk kind of out in the hills and, yeah. and, um, but yeah, it's, so that's, that's been a bit of a level of anxiety for us. Like, so what, mm-hmm. what are you, um, how are you coaching people? Like, what are you saying for, for, for people who don't know you, you and I chatted, mm-hmm. let's tangent for a bit. You and I chatted <laughs> on the bike pack Canada podcast. We got hot and fast. Yeah. Hey, we got right into yep. it deep right away. <laughs> But you and I chatted on the on the Bike Pack Canada podcast, and I've wanted to have you. I want to talk to you again. Mm-hmm. Why, why don't you tell folks out there who haven't maybe listened to that podcast? And and while you talk, I'm going to tell people what episode it is. But I got to look it up because I can't remember. But For sure. um, just yeah, tell people about your background and kind of what your expertise is. Yeah, um, as a as a um, academic background, my I have a very diverse background. It's uh, it's in sport and exercise psychology, as well as education as graduate degrees, and then uh, advanced graduate degree, PhD research, uh, or PhD level uh, coursework in clinical and research psychology, as well as sport and exercise psychology. So uh, kind of a diverse background from the academic field. But my, my background, I guess, too, is, is as, a, as a coach, as an athlete, um, those kinds of things. Uh, I, I've been, you know, front and center and watching a lot of uh, 
a lot of communities, especially the sporting communities, really get shaken up by like just a, a, a termination of their ability to, to do their sport, to be engaging in it. But I've also seen, and, and this is the flip side too, and you were mentioning this earlier, Steve, is the return to a lot of the family stuff. And, um, you know, people saying, okay, like we haven't sat down as a family, you know, in years because, you know, uh, little Brayden has hockey at this time and, and, you know, Cynthia has gymnastics and dance and hockey at those times. And so we're just coming and going and coming and going and coming and going. We've been doing it for so long because Cynthia's 16 and Brayden's 13 that those things haven't been there. And so they don't know necessarily how to do it. Yeah. And, and it's not that they're absent in it. You know, they're a tight family. They're very supportive and, you know, they're, they're looking forward to it. But it's, it's odd and it's strange because it hasn't been something they've done since, you know, six and seven or eight and, and, and whatever. And so there's some real positives to the other side is that resets family values for some. For others, it's a very scary situation because things like sports and school were very positive environments for them and maybe the home wasn't, right? And so now they're, they've lost school, they've lost sports. And now they're in the home all the time and the home isn't as positive. And so you, there's, there's a lot of angst around those kinds of things. So as much as we'd like to say, like, this is people's experience, um, it's very, very unique. Like any family, every family functions very differently. And, and that's kind of been my, my role with people as individually working collectively is how to, how to, how to I guess, how to streamline and how to, how to problem solve how to be positive, how to place an emphasis on something greater than simply like function, like school, or you've got to keep training or, you know, those are parts of a bigger whole. And so that's why I think like, it's been really cool for me in a sense to be able to reach across the boundaries of, you know, maybe clinical and abnormal psychology all the way to performance psychology and even family systems therapy and, and basically pulling in every facet of my training to be able to assist uh, at a time then there's really no, there's no precedent, right? There's no way to say, okay, so here's the playbook on how to handle a pandemic. And our organizations, the Canadian Psychological Association, College of Psychologists, uh, Canadian Sports Psychology Association are all putting out a ton of information to try to get it in the hands of people just to get some concrete skills. Um, so I, I feel very, very fortunate to belong to great organizations, to be talking to amazing people, and to have some of the training that assists across a bandwidth of, of challenge. So um, that's basically me in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, you're basically, co now you're coaching families, uh, basically that team, <laughs> coaching another yeah. type of team dynamic. Right? Yeah. I know the first weekend, um, uh, my wife's standing right here, the, fir the first weekend that, that we had off kind of together, was it was weird because you know there's a certain flow going on right like you said like learning how to just now the, the situation just changed like instantly yeah. and now you know we're, we're like constantly pacing like moving around each other in the kitchen while we're getting our breakfast ready and there's this other kind of dynamic it was it's you know it's it's just different right it's hard and i don't know um because she's standing here i'll say that you know big adjustment for chris obviously has been homeschooling the kids now keeping yeah. them engaged and keeping them entertained and getting them outside to play. And then, you know, trying to get some mommy time in there. Like there's been, you know, I just, 
you know, I bow down to her. I probably don't say that enough to her. And I think that she's, <laughs> she's just done an amazing job um, doing that. Mm-hmm. So I just, uh, I think we're doing okay as a family. I think we're doing really well. You know, the, cool. the, the kids adjusted pretty well, I think. Um, yeah. But you can certainly tell that they've kind of, you know, we, it's hard to, it's, but we still project onto them. Right. And we yeah. still have conversations and I'm sure those kids, they're bionic, right? They hear everything you say. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sure. And how t- you say it. <laughs> yeah. And how you're saying it in the tone of voice and then they're, you know, absorbing it and then, and then, you know, processing it through their, their type of processor and the way they've been shaped on the seven years that Jasper has been around. Like, how is he gonna, you know, put all these ideas together to come down to like a, a reality. Okay. This is the reality right now. I don't I just, mm-hmm. it's, it's been interesting, but yeah, they've, they've adjusted well, no play dates, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. But I know I read somewhere that there was a, a bit of a concern that um, there might be an upswing in, in spousal abuse and child abuse and alcoholism and whatnot. Um, yeah. So well, how are you coaching people? What kind of coping strategies are you kind of beginning with? Well, I think to me, it, it emphasizes the need for uh, not rigid scheduling, but organization, right? And I think, I mean, you, you really highlighted something that's really important is, is, you know, your, your wife in this example has, you know, a certain schedule and a certain role and the kids have a certain flow and, you know, you're, you're in on this time and, and they're in on this time and those roles completely flipped. And we're, we're at the best of times, uh, relatively inflexible yeah. <laughs> in, in how we do, how we do things. So, when we're told like, okay, listen, you know, I know this is what you like to do, but listen, shut up for a second <laughs> and here's what you get to do. And those changes, those changes can be hard, not from a, not from a, a task delivery, like, you know, sitting down with my child and, you know, okay, I'm going to do math, but from what the expectation is that all of a sudden, you know, there's, there's a growing level of empathy and appreciation for a teacher. And oh, there's man. the challenge of, totally. Yeah, like an understanding, like how organized and structured a grade one, grade two, grade three class needs to be versus how flexible maybe a grade 10 or grade 11 chemistry class needs to be. And, you know, if I'm structured and organized in my in my seven or eight year old, but my 13 year old needs a little less structure, but they're sitting at the same table, you're going to get a different level of frustration. You're going to get a different level of, of emotion. And you as the parent don't always have the the um the coping skills the coping strategies the emphasis the reset like the recognition for what needs to happen in the moment it becomes i'm a parent you're a child and that's the part to me it's like okay you that that role is assumed and so if you don't begin the activity with that assumed role it's going to feel like a lot of pressure on the young person to do two things be the right child and now be the right student. Yeah. And those aren't the same role. And a, a seven or eight or nine year old isn't going to differentiate between those two things. They're not. Whereas a, even a 16 or 17 year old might resist help, but a teacher knows how to persist. Whereas the parent, the, the resistance and help is just sort of a part of the dynamic between the parent and the child. So the parent goes, fine, you do it on your own, you've got this. But what the child really needed was, I need you to persist a little more and understand how I'm asking for help isn't the same way as I know how or 
or that I don't know how to. And like, those are dynamics that just parents are facing a great deal of pressure for and ultimately handling sometimes quite well, right? You know, I guess from my perspective, some of the parents that I've talked to are reaching out and saying, you know, how do I do a better job of splitting these roles? And, and number one, you know, did you get training in it? Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> even a teacher who's a parent is still going to have a difficult time flipping roles well we have different child isn't going to differentiate yeah we have we have different relationships with our with our parents Absolutely. like we even yeah. we even have different relationships with people as an adult like the way we mm-hmm. the way we behave with our wife is different than we behave with say another woman on on the street like it's completely different and for kids mm-hmm. to like a teacher to a seven-year-old or a six-year-old is like you know there's a bit more authority authority there i think and they res- mm-hmm. they see that and they respect that where with the parent they just push the limits right so, so is there, is there like a strategy you can recommend there to like, to, to make that separation? Is there a way of reasoning with a child to kind of get them to understand? I think one of the best things that I've, that I've seen and, and talked to parents about was separating space. Um, and some do a really good job of it already. Others, it's sort of a blended, you know, community in their home. But if I have schoolwork to do, and I know my child has, you know, traditionally not done as well with attention then I have a transition period and teachers do this fluidly in classroom management because they're trained how to do it is I've got five or 10 minutes where I need my little to, to transition. And if they're going to transition from, you know, mathematics to LA, I can't just go, okay, so 45 minutes, we're done math. Let's go to and do mm-hmm. some LA now. Uh, it doesn't work that way, you know, and one of the, one of the gifts of a lot of, of really talented teachers is understanding that, there's going to need to be some movement. There's going to be need to be some a cognitive break. There's going to need to be some connectedness. And as a result of that connectedness, there may actually be need to be a change in space as well. And so what the activity holds is maybe station two in the home or station three in the home. And some, you know, and I've heard some really, really cool ideas around how to transition that. And, and stuff is like, okay, was that online? Is that there? It's like, well, this is the math station. This is the LA station reading station. And then this is the break station. This is where we're going to do. And and the kids love it. They move, right? Mm. And that's what they do in class. Even if they come back to the same desk, they, they still get to move. They get up, they move their books, they do this, they change. They're going to do some reading. They get into some space where they get to do some reading. Uh, they have a buddy read to them, whatever. And it's that kind of thing that parents can get a little bit more, uh, little bit more depth or understanding or what the challenge or what the uh, uh, things that were working for their little uh, and, and try to find ways to uh, uh, basically connect on those levels, like a reading buddy, right? A reading buddy can be a parent, mm-hmm. right? But it has to be within the school context and within transition from math to reading to gym or whatever, right? Instead of it being, okay, this is the school table, but this is the dinner table. Clean your stuff off. You know, this is the Lego table too. It's not going to work. Right. Yeah, there's just not the not the mental ability for a young person to be able to do that. I think that correlates with adults too, because I think we need that as well. Yeah. Like at my work, if I'm going from a from like you know collating invoices and then having to go out, you know, to to receive a truck or to whatever that tra- or to go on the floor and deal with a customer, it's like it's almost yeah, you know, like you'll stop and you'll like take a sip of coffee and then kind of like stretch it out a bit before you kind of make the transition to something else. It's like a reset, yeah. right? Yeah. 
Absolutely. Just like physical activity can be that reset for people, like for, for kids, like, okay, we did math. It's pretty tough. Go outside and run a couple laps around the house, you know, uh, you know, and, and then it just acts as a bit of a reset. I think that's valuable. Yeah. Oh, totally. And I agree with you. It's adults too. So, yeah. Yeah. So is that kind of, what about a coping skill for, for um, like, what's the, what's the worst case scenario are you seeing? Are are you seeing people just who aren't leaving their home or who are just completely um, terrified to go anywhere? Are you seeing any of that? Yeah. Um, I've seen some, some, and in, in not in a frightening way, but just in a really vigilant way, um, you know, kind of an already sort of, you know, paranoid profile <clears throat> just gets more paranoid. Mm. Um, and to the point in some cases where, you know, the, a paranoid person doesn't think they're paranoid, first of all. You know, they think they're well well planned, they're organized, they're getting all the information. They think they're doing exactly what they need to do. So to to, to help them understand that, that they're fueling or feeding that paranoia um, is really difficult. And this just made it even more difficult so no matter where they look they're getting more information, which fuels kind of the wrong bucket at the time. Mm. So I think some of the extreme examples I've seen are, are, you know, people saying like, you know, um, everything from, well, even like xenophobic sort of attitudes of, you know, I I won't like anybody from that culture anymore. Um, Okay. Like there's no premise in that, but to try to help them understand that is really difficult at the time to, I'm stockpiling, you know, shotgun shells, you know, and asking the person like, do you own a shotgun? Like, no, like they haven't, they're literally not there to the point where they've, they've, they've heard that you got to stockpile ammunition. So they've gone out and they've stockpiled ammunition and they don't own a weapon. Hmm. Right. And so the anxiety is just like, they're taking information and they're digesting it without really consciously thinking about it. And, you know, it's not that they're scary people or dangerous people. They're just taking whatever they see on, on media as fact and then fueling their behavior without really being able to consciously uh, think about it. And without like a good inner circle of checks and balances for them to someone to stop them and say, you don't own a, a weapon. Like, why are you buying shotgun shells? You know, <clears throat> and their argument is, well, CNN told me that you've got to stockpile ammunition. Like there's a lot of breakdowns in the logic in that argument, but not at that time. And they don't have a good checks and balance for themselves. So you've seen some really, uh, really heightened or aggressive, uh, not aggressive. I don't take that term back. Really sort of amplified um, heightened vigilance. Yeah. Yeah, Amplified. Yeah. And, and to like just tremendously anxious people. Like if you touch something, wash your hands again. Mm. Um, you did this, wash your hands again. Like, you know, and you're in your own home, and there's only the people in your inner circle there for 21 days. And, you know, if you, you come in the door, I'm going to hose you off. You need to soap, shower, burn your clothes. <laughs> Not quite that way. But you get the sense, like, okay, take everything to the washing machine, wash everything now. And because you can't infect our home. But they haven't been in contact with anything mm. that would have suggested an infection. Yeah, it's no right? common so sense. So, like, very, very heightened. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, people are making making decisions on, based on fear, right? And yeah, and is that is yeah. that the parasympathetic nervous no, system? Sympathetic that, sympathetic. System. So when that yeah. kicks in, when that kicks in at that deep level, that I guess it's almost like a primal level. Yeah. Right. It's just like that. Um. That survival instinct. 
and yeah. uh, the fear fear causes you to make irrational decisions, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, protect. And, and then protect, it's almost yeah. like a virus in and of itself because then you're out there at Walmart and you're filling your cart with toilet paper or yeah. all the meat from the meat section and then you instill panic in somebody else and they're like, oh shit, should I be buying all the beef? Like, oh my God. Yeah. And then that just kind of sets off this, yeah, yeah. just, yeah. Well, that's what we saw it. right away with the toilet paper. Yeah. Um, so strange. I'm pretty sure that was propagated on, you know, Glenn's Twitter page or someone's, yeah. you know, like hashtag going to run out, hashtag not me, hashtag I'm out. And all of a sudden people was like, oh, did you see that on Twitter? And next thing you know, everybody's at the grocery store buying 300 pounds of toilet paper. And that's why we're out. But you don't want to be the person who's who's not prepared. So you better go prepare because your responsibility and it's like you can rationalize that until the end of days. But it, it wasn't a rational behavior to begin with, right? And that's hard to convince somebody who's behaving in, a, in an irrational way that their information wasn't rational because they think, well, yeah, but would you want to be the person without it? Like, well, no, and I won't be without it if you put 17 of those 18 <laughs> packages back, but they can't, yeah. they won't do that. There's yeah. no way. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's interesting what, what drives us. I find that so funny. Um, uh, uh, what did I have? I said something on my mind. I can't remember what it was. Damn it. I could flow there for a second. Um, where can people find the information that you say uh, was coming out from the Canadian Psycho- Psychological Society? Like, is there a website that uh, people can go to? Yeah, Canadian Psychological Association is just, and it's just the homepage. And it's got, I mean, everything from, uh, like I brought it up just so I could make reference to what's on there, but um, like emotional and psychological challenges faced by frontline healthcare workers, mm. student wellness in COVID, helping teens cope, psychological impacts, practice, working from home coping and preventing like really, really good facts, information. Plus they're going to lead, they're going to guide people to the credible sources uh, of media. And mm. that's why you're seeing the, the, the chief medical officers having to report twice a day because without that, then news goes wildfire and clickbait interest instead. And that's where you're seeing a lot of the fear mongering go on when they're not addressing credible sources um you know you've seen media stuff around uh trying to silence credible sources because of other personal interests and like that kind of stuff just ends up hanging more fear why would they try to silence them if they they know something else or whose interests are in the medical field and like none of that is relevant to you and i sitting in our homes but it's made relevant by a person who's listening to that limbic brain, listening to that fear brain and, and going, okay, I've got to make sure I'm prepared. And it's differentiating between preparedness and worry and fear and digesting information and being able to just take information as it is and kind of hold it up in front of you and say, okay, that, that was, that was helpful for me today. I'll put that aside and, and move on from my day and, you know, check in with those that I care about and is everybody safe and, Does everybody that I love, are they okay? And those are the things that people really need to start doing more of. And you've seen it. I mean, Zoom, sure, Zoom stocks went up 4,000% in the past week, right? So you've seen more and more and more emphasis on that. So it's kind of cool. That was the point I was going to make before was just about the media. And and I'd, Mm -hmm. I'd written a blog post, mumbled together some words that 
basically was just trying to encourage people to, to think critically. Like when you take information and you read it, you need to, you need to take it and digest it. And uh, someone came into my office um, a couple of weeks ago and they were like, closing the borders, borders are getting closed. And uh, I went, really? That's crazy. That's bananas. So I went online. I keep losing my uh, power plug here. I'm going to run out of juice. Um, so, uh, and then I, I found the headline and it's, it's just clickbait, right? It's, it, you know, it says borders closed between us and Canada. And that's all it said. And then like a couple sentences in, it's like, well, you know, essential services and trade and blah, blah, blah. So that, that person was just like thumbing through uh, headlines and just saw that one headline and, and jumped all over it. So I think it's really important to, to read all the sources. And mm-hmm. I, I, I was been trying to encourage people to go, I'm a podcast junkie. You already know that, but there's some great <laughs> podcasts with some really talented, smart people out there that are spreading really, really good, useful, realistic information. And, uh, yeah, yeah the media thing, I just, I, I probably get maybe, I go to it 20% of the time to try to just see what's going on. And to me, it's just buffoonery. The whole, you know, there's just so much crap. Most of it's obviously coming from from the States and Trump. But I really appreciate what Canada's doing. Like, I've never felt more grateful to be Canadian than in the yeah. last, you know, in the last couple months. Like, I just feel as though um, I'm politically inept and I'm not sure why people hate Trudeau so much. Um, but man, he's taking really good care of us. You know, I think mm-hmm. we should give him some credit for that. And, uh, and yeah, and also credit for the information that, that, uh, we're getting, you know, from science and, and, uh, and from, I don't know what, what CBC it is a CBC where they're transmitting. Yeah. Those. yeah. But, um, <clears throat> yeah. yeah, I just got to think critically about all this stuff and, and gather sources and, and throw out the crap, like, mm-hmm. cause there's so much but of it. it- you know, it, and it's hard to imagine that, that critical thought uh, isn't an innate uh, ability, but it really isn't. And it's really hard for for someone to say, okay, this is some information. How should I think about the information? Not this is information fact, and then that's it. Right. And, right, there's the difference between information and digestion. And if we're over digesting, no matter what it is, we're going to really struggle. It's no different than food. You eat too much of it, you get sick. If you take in too much news, you get sick. And the the consciousness right now is that you know when uh, the the COVID is tempered and flattened, and, and a vaccine comes along, and when we have you know the 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 reset of the economic societal like you know, we see our resets and, and we start to move forward as a community. Um, I think the emphasis is going to be on, um, am I okay now? Can I be okay? Like if we ever wanted to find a way to induce anxiety disorders, this would be it. And to induce obsessive compulsive uh, disorders on top of the anxiety, this would be it. Because right now, diligence exists, but if it goes on for extended periods of time, there's going to be a lot of people with acute stress disorder and you know potential PTSD symptoms that we need to make sure that we're conscious and prepared to help manage. Because there's, it's not just going to go, oh, okay, well, okay, now I'm back to normal, I can go to the restaurant. 
Because the person who's spent four or five months in a heightened, vigilant, anxious state isn't just going to turn it back down and then, you know, go to Moxie's for a burger. They're they're not likely to do that. They're likely to be very, very vigilant. You know, who made my my fries? Who made my, did anybody touch my plate? Who was it that touched my plate? You know, like, did you, do you have, and those kinds of concerns are the, 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 the garden for mental health and mental wellness. And we really need to be prepared to buffer that sort of wave that follows uh, a, a real medical concern like this. So, you know, the, the better people are doing right now with it, the better they're going to cope with mm-hmm. it when it ends. And I think it's super important that people are paying attention to credible information. And they're, they're looking at what's, what is critical thinking mean? What does that mean? That is a protective factor for mental health. It is literally a skill that everybody can have that's a protective factor for mental health. But not everybody wants to go there because, well, what's that guy talking about? What does he know about me? Right? And, and you know, they can't know what I'm going through. And you're right. You know, that's the hardest thing about, about a, a, a worldwide sort of circumstance like this is that we can't unless those people reach out to their inner circle and get that, that benchmark, right? That bandwidth feedback, like, is this okay? Am I okay to, to be thinking this way? And someone goes, yeah, you're fine. Great. You, you learned to wash your hands better. Awesome. Nice work. Did you do it before? No. Well, now you're doing it. Awesome. But they feel clinically odd because they're doing something that they probably should have been doing more vigilantly before. Whereas then the person who doesn't go to work because they can't stop washing their hands, that's clinical, right? And critical thinking can be such a protective factor uh, when it comes to digesting this information. Well, it's almost like when you when you head out there in public, or I know initially when things started getting shut down, I just remember being super, super anxious. <clears throat> and I think it's important to go out and kind of take the temperature of society yeah. a little bit, like kind of go out and see, okay, well, you know, you see the extremes, you know, and I feel like I'm kind of in the middle of it all. Not, not you know, figuratively, figuratively in that sense, but just mm. I feel like I'm in the middle. I'm in the center where I have a healthy respect for what's going on uh, and I'm trying to stay prepared and stay close mm-hmm. to my family and, and then, you know, uh, try to be, you know, a bit more stoic, like trying to be that way. Mm. And, um, and, you know, you and I on the podcast, which we talked on uh, Bike Pack Canada was episode 61. People should check it out because that was an awesome chat. We talked a little mm-hmm. bit about meditation and um, mm-hmm. I've fallen off the bandwagon, to be honest. I was doing really well there for a while and now I've just kind of fallen off. Um, lack of discipline, maybe. But even in the short time um, that, I'm do- that I was doing it, and I will do it again, was um, um, it, it centered me a little bit, like even just that 10 or 20 minutes in the morning of just silence. And, uh, or I was using an app as well. I found the app kind of beneficial <clears throat> just, uh, to have someone kind of speak to you and, and kind of directing your attention, you know, when you, yeah. when you kind of lose that, when you lose the, 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 it's out of the sights and you just can't, you don't know really what you're supposed to be paying attention to. And then to have someone kind of come in and say, Okay, if you get lost, just listen to your breath 
you know, and then taking those 10 minutes out of every day, it seemed to really be beneficial. So from a, if you're going to be good for your family and if you're going to be good for society, you, you still have, it's all comes down to you and you have, you have to be okay. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I would encourage anyone to sit down and try an app or even just sit down, try to set a timer for 10 minutes and just sit in silence and yeah. just kind of pay attention. Don't, don't react to the thoughts that bubble up, but look at them and just, and critically look at them. And it's, it what, what amazed me is that, uh, how much bullshit your consciousness is feeding you constantly. It's like a fire hose of mostly crap, self-deprecating. This is my thing. It's just, it's just like, why are you doing this? Why men living in the past and blah, 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 and this and that. But when you sit back and you look at those thoughts, you go like, why is this even relevant? Why is this relevant? And I think it helps you not to pay attention to them, but to also to filter them, right? To filter those. So maybe you could use that to filter a bit of your fear as well. And to like look at the fear when it bubbles up and just kind of observe it and, and try to find out, well, where's that coming from? Like, what's the root of that fear? Um, mm-hmm. Is that making sense? Well, tons. And, I, and then to add something to that too, is, is you mentioned the, the sympathetic parasympathetic nervous system responses, like for people that are unaware, you know, those two are, are, you know, fall into the, the category of, of autonomic or automatic nervous systems. And, you know, they've been very functional in our, in our, in our, in our bodies to protect us over time. And sympathetic nervous system is what people know of as fight or flight or freeze. Um, the parasympathetic nervous system is your kind of rest and digest. And, and, and they're not ones on ones off. They're constantly in an ebb and flow. And, when there's a heightened state of anxiety and some unknown or uncertainty and vigilance, mental vigilance going on, and people are monitoring some things, that that sympathetic nervous system is constantly firing. And one of the best things that people can do for that automatic nervous system, the autonomic nervous system, is to turn the volume down on it via meditation. So, you know, you you mentioned the, the mental side of meditation, but the physiological responses are phenomenal for even just 10 to 15 minutes of just shutting the nervous system down from stimulus Mm. and just allowing a flow, allowing a conscious flow, a stream of consciousness to just be. And the thought comes and the thought goes and the thought comes and the thought goes. You know, I mentioned how I usually give, you know, people the metaphor of a river and you try to watch water in a river and you, you, you can't be confident that you're watching the same water. So you just end up watching water and listening to the sounds. And, and it's peaceful. And then a log rolls through and, and interrupts your stream of consciousness because it's odd. Mm. But how long you choose to watch the log is up to you. And that log is the worry or the fear, right? You can, you can pine after it for the next three hours if you want to, wondering where it is down the river. Or you can just watch the log move in and move out of view and then Focus again back on the flow of water and that that response to the nervous system. People always say like, "Oh, I just feel better," but they don't know what to call that. And that's what that is: is you know, heart rate slows down, blood pressure drops, uh, skin conduction, you know, goes down, skin temperature goes down, um, stimulus in the brain, visual stimulus cues are eighty percent of our information. So when we shut our eyes. We're turning on our other senses and we're turning into our senses, mm-hmm. right? So there's so many variables that are mental, emotional, physiological that are so valuable for even that 10 or 15 minutes that people have. And 
there's one of those other pluses that people say, oh, I don't have any time to, to meditate. Right now, in some cases, people are, are, they have a lot of time to be able to slow things down and be conscious for that. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to add on to that. I think it's a super valuable skill. And there's tons of apps and there's tons of, of information on how to do it on the internet. So if you're on it already, surfing news, you know, Google is fantastic. You know, mindful activities, meditation activities, and then choose one, right? And there's absolutely totally agree. Yeah. Thanks. Um, <clears throat> I know there's, um, um, uh, walking meditations as well, which I've, I've kind of tried my hat. At. Cause usually at lunch, I like to just go for a walk in the sun and, and, uh, when you, uh, with eyes open and walking and concentrating, you can, you can feel like you can just feel things like the wind going by your finger as it's swinging back and forth or the wind brushing by your nose as you're walking or, or just you become more aware of kind of the bird chirping off in the distance or so you, you can, you can still find that silence in nature, you know, moving, moving through nature as well. Yeah. I think it's been, I gotta, I gotta pick up on it again. I, I suck at discipline, man. I don't know what it is. I had a really good run there for a while. I use a, I use a tool and not to pump a, a company, but I use a tool called uh, the M wave from art map Institute. And, it teaches people about uh, what's called heart rate variability, mm. which is essentially sort of the rhythm um, and the distance between between those the QRS peaks. So, you know, if if I have good what's called high coherence or good coherence, there's nice consistent like 71 beats a minute, 71, 71, 71, 71, 71, all the way across my my uh, uh, my heart rate. But if it's inconsistent, I can still have the same kind of 71 heart rate, but the distance between number one and number two are like 109. And then number two and number three are 54. Like milliseconds. Number three and number four. Uh, yeah, like we're no beats per minute. That's oh, how it figures out how to go beats per minute. So I usually equate it to, you know, if you're in a car and someone keeps pressing the gas in the accelerator, mm. that's really what your heart's doing when it's super stressed. Mm -hmm. And so it's heart-focused breathing which allows you to, to pull in number one, the, uh, the breathing capacity. So it's five in five out or four in four out depends on what you want to do. Um, but the second piece is, is belly breathing. And then the third piece is, is attentiveness to your heart. What's your heart doing? Um, and use the attention to the heart because you bring it everywhere with you. <laughs> and so it's always going to be there. I start to get stressed and you're like, okay, here's my three scales. And, I can, and there's other skills that are involved. I mean, I'm oversimplifying it, but it really does bring a different sense of connectedness between mind and body um, that you can do anywhere, right? Athletes are doing it at high intensity exercise, right? They just train themselves to be able to breathe and focus at the right times for the right places, and they can downgrade their average heart rate. So, I mean, it's a really, really positive tool that, like you said, like, you know, walking meditation, like you don't have to be in a yoga class. Uh, or a meditation class or in the mountains, you know, albeit I say that and then you step out your door and you're in the mountains, but mm. like, <laughs> you know, you, <laughs> don't, you don't have to just be there, right? <laughs> I step out my door and I'm in, uh, there's nine feet of snow. Outside. Oh, dude, that's it's funny. melting quickly though. Don't good. good. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think there's a lot of value in, into um, just taking care. I think now more than ever, people need to be taking care of themselves and, getting lots of sleep and being with your family and like just 
just staying out of society. How do you think this is going to, you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, but um, I'm curious as to what life's going to look like in like a year, 18 months. Like, you know, you mentioned the, the idea of, you know, we live a pretty recluse life to be honest. Like it's kind of work bikes and kids, but, but uh, like, we don't really have much of a, a social life other than we, with each other. But for people who are really used to going out and going to big events, like I heard someone say today that, you know, that the idea of going to a, a stadium for a concert, that's gonna, mm-hmm. that's might be looked at as super high risk, right? Coming on the other side of this thing. Like, do you think it's going to carry on and change us as a, as a generation? I, you know, I wonder about that too. Um, I think one of the bigger things for, for me uh, in my field was the announcement of the postponement for the Olympics. And Mm. so when you have something as significant as, as the summer Olympics deciding to, to move, it's not a, it's not as easy as just saying, okay, we just won't do it now. We'll do it later. Right. There's a lot of impact on people. And, you know, I, I was kind of watching, you know, diligently in some of the, the athletes that I follow and, and the athletes that I work with and like, how are you feeling about things and, and a very big range of uh, like individual impression. But ultimately a lot of people are, you know, they're almost, they're almost looking at this, you know, 2021 and saying like, can you imagine the opening ceremonies at the 2021 Olympics when we cover from this, like we are going to blow the top off that thing. And, it rivals like, you know, when the floods hit New Orleans and, you know, you know, they, they didn't really bounce back that quickly, but, you know, the, the Superdome was this kind of beacon of hope for a lot of people and the Saints were a beacon of hope for a lot of people. And when they opened that season, you know, it was electric in that place. And, you know, Steve Beeson blocks a pun for the first touchdown after this. And, like and and the place erupted like it was you know they were they were concerned that the sound was gonna you know crack the the walls because oh, wow. people were just so Pumped. energetic because they're like you know what you can't beat us and now you have something you know you look at how powerful that was in in the south United States we have the whole world going the same direction right now maybe I don't know I'm not a historian but maybe for the first time in the world history. Is that everybody's going the same direction, arguably, give or take. Won't mention any countries, but the the fact that everybody's going the same direction is just a, what is this? What are the things? What are the events that are going to unify the world? And in some cases, anything that is world bound, world renowned, the World Cup, uh, Olympics, uh, World Rugby Cup, uh, or World uh, Rugby Championships, like. All these events that were postponed, the golf events, like sport, sport has a real opportunity to unify the world mm. at a way that has never been unified. And so that to me is like, okay, you've got a lot of people working in one direction for the maybe again, arguably the first time in world history, um, that all our vested interests are making sure that we continue as humanity. And so what does that look like individually? I think there's going to be things like economic impacts, obviously. I think there, there can be some real resets to family values and what's valuable to people. Uh, maybe things won't take as much value on. Maybe people will take more value on. I think, like I mentioned earlier, I think young people have a more accepting and empathic uh, 
lens that they're looking through that than any other generation. Uh, and they have a real chance to shine in that sense. Like there's a lot of positive elements that get enhanced in understanding that some people, well, of course, media is not going to focus on a lot of those things because they're not good positive clickbait, right? They're not, someone's not going to click on that. Like, Hey, this is what we're going to do in, in one year. It's like, you know, I want something that's going to get 2,200 or 22,000 people following me in 10 minutes. It's got to be negative. And so when you really look behind the scenes, that's a cool initiative that's happening. And what are schools going to do? What are teachers going to do? You know, what are parents, do parents appreciate teachers? Are they more empathic to that teaching profession in a way they maybe haven't been before? Um, nurses, uh, I've seen a huge focus, a very, very cool focus on uh, powerful females at the forefront of this crisis and you know a very very positive strong uh, and not antithetical feminist movement it's not against anything it's just here are the people that are helping us shine and there's really really powerful women at, at the forefront of this movement right now and so you're like okay so everyone's taking an opportunity to go here's how we can shine and i don't know that that i've ever seen that I'm, I'm racking my brain to, you know, and I've been, I live in Northern Alberta and there are some hard, hard times in Northern Alberta mm. going through environment arguments, climate, you know, there's people butting heads everywhere, really hard line heels dug in the sand, well-established people like just don't believe in, and science and X, Y, and Z and people who do and, you know, all these kinds of things. And the economy is always at the forefront of our minds and, you know, at the, at the end of the day, you know, a lot of those populations that we're against are not now. There's not, you know, the, the teachers and, and, and the health care professionals who are at the forefront of this right now, you know, having to be malleable, having to go to work under stress. And then the, the, they, they understand and appreciate the very people that are being laid off of work and, and not given work. And vice versa. We're hoping that that's, and that's the same thing. Like, thank goodness there are people who want to work in the healthcare community who are taking care of our families and loved ones. They're heroes, man. Like, and so you're like, you have, you have people that would ordinarily just be butting heads who are now standing in a unified way, you know, give or take, but you know, that's a cool, cool way uh, that humanity is responding. And I, I, for one, I'm a, I'm a fan of watching it happen because I think you'll see, I feel a very a strong sense of a return to social responsibility in, in community to community where we want to see those small businesses return, right? We want to see those people get their restaurants open, get their shops open again, get their stores open again. You know, we want to see those places. Those are our people, you know, and so there's going to be a social responsibility for the people that had the opportunity to work through the crisis, right? that that are going to go okay now they took care of us we'll take care of them and there's a and if we can get into a strong response that way that's really really powerful so i like i do i anticipate it i i don't know i'd love to believe it it's what i talk about and where we are what can we do what can we be healthy for how can we be healthy what can we appreciate gratitude is very big um, you know, uh, those are, those are 
concepts that are massive that can be executed on a Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday and 12 times on a Thursday. And now all of a sudden something that was taken for granted is we have a lot of gratitude for it, right? And a lot of joy in, like you said, sharing time with family. So there's, there's a lot of things that we can take our lens and go, I'm going to move it away from, you know, pontificating mainstream media and I'm going to move it to what's, what's the time that I can do and, and spend with my child doing the puzzle. And, you know, my wife uses the term germ with our son. You know, he said, well, when the germ's gone, you can, we can go and play again. And he's even gotten to a point where like, okay, I can't give you a hug because of the germ, but I really want to. And so when, when the germ's gone, he's really looking forward to hugging his grandma and grandpa again and being with his buddies again. And he's making plans and he's looking forward. And, you know, those are really powerful psychological messages of resilience that take the focus from things that really aren't that important. You know, it's our responsibility to do those things as parents. So that's, that's the shrunken, zoomed-in version. Well, that's really good advice, I think. And I, I would hope um, that the globe can, as a whole, can kind of look at the adversity we faced and how much energy we spend pointing fingers at one another and fighting over um, commodities and uh, the economy and just, just look at how well we could actually work as a planet, if we just kind of all just change our focus, right. Change our lens and just, just start being good to one another. It's like, you can have, we can all have our own cultures and, you know, and do our, all our own thing, but we could still work together. Like, you know, we really you know, rely on, we, we, we rely on a lot of different countries heavily to, yeah. to function as a society. And, you know, that's, that's a, I think a dangerous place to be in, but if we just play nice with one another, and just work together and, and like, yeah, air, you know, the air quality is better and a lot of things that are coming out of this that are just, hopefully it'll ring people's bell and be like, oh, well, yeah, you know, like maybe if we, if we changed our focus and started focusing on, you know, like here, and I'm all for going to Mars, but here, you know, we got to get off the planet. We got to get off the planet. Let's spend trillions of dollars and go to Mars. It's like, okay, well, how about we, we take a few hundred billion of that. <laughs> and keep it here and you know maybe change some change some ideas and just make it a better place for everyone that's what i hope comes out of it you know but and you know it's funny you mentioned that is is you know that global perspective there's it's a very easy i don't want to say it's easy it's low-hanging fruit argument right you know it's it's black or white in a sense of like well we turned all the, the factories off so look at all the air quality yeah, but we're not producing anything, so yeah. turn the factories back on. Exactly. Well, no, let's turn the factories on in a way that's more responsible, and then everybody's we're we're okay. I think this makes sense. And from us, from a, a from a humanity perspective, you know, when we zoom in on something like I was thinking, uh, or I went to grocery shopping um, the other day, and like I'm walking to the grocery store, and ordinarily you walk by people, mm. and you know you. You, you don't say anything to them or, or anything weird. like you just kind of stroll by people. But because everybody has to respect this six foot barrier, you actually make eye contact with people and smile and say hello. Mm. Like I probably said hello to more people in one Safeway store to people I didn't know than I ever have just based on the fact that we respected one another because I want to be healthy. You want to be healthy. We're getting things for our families or for ourselves and our own health. 
So let's just make sure that we're safe. All right. Morning. Morning. Good to see you. Nice. Hi. And like, you wouldn't have done that. There's a stroll by and said, excuse me, I got to eat the popcorn. Like there's, there's a, a neat sort of spinoff and that's my experience in, in two stores, right? Maybe that's me. I don't know, but I make a lot of eye contact with people and people don't always make eye contact with me. And that's okay. That that's their journey. And, but I take a great deal of pride in, in when people can make eye contact with me and we can say hello and be kind. And those are some neat, that's some neat evidence based on the fact that we can't do anything else other than respect space. Hmm. You know, so it's a, it's a, an interesting spinoff that's come from nonverbal communication just based on the fact you have to respect space. So, you know, I, I walk to work every day and there was this, um, there's been this person, I, I see her every day and no, well, not, yeah, not every day, but for about a week we were walking and we'd, we'd encounter each other opposite and we'd spread out, right. And go by and the first time. And I'm the, I'm the same way. I, I get it from my dad. My dad just says hello to everybody. It was so embarrassing when I was a kid. <laughs> right? That's me. Hey, how you doing? Hey, do you even know them, dad? God. But, uh, you know, I'd walk by and I'd, I'd say hello. It's like, oh, good morning. And she said good morning back to me. But the look on her face was kind of like, don't you talk to me. Close your dirty virus-filled mouth. It was just this look, right? And then I saw her another morning and, you know, same thing, eye contact and a nod. She didn't even look at me. And then, mm-hmm. you know, the third time, it was bugging me because that's kind of the guy I am, right? <laughs> it was bugging me a little bit. So then the third day, it's like I saw her from a distance. I'm like, you know what, man? It's not worth your energy. It's like if she doesn't want to connect with you, that's cool. And so I just like looked forward and <laughs> I like, kind of felt it made me feel shitty, made me feel like a shitty human. But <laughs> but so my experience is the same. I mean, we live in a small town. So, yeah. we're, you know, we're thanking our grocery store workers all the time. Like, oh, my God, thank you for, you know, we go to I'm going to plug them the AG Foods in Invermere. And they've been so um, vigilant about uh, we have a distillery in town, Tainton Bay and uh just down the road from here and they've initially i think they sell it now but they were giving out i guess it's a byproduct of uh their liquor making process there's this alcohol it's like 70 percent yeah um yeah so ag before you even go into the store you stick your hands out and someone kind of blasts you from a distance and you wipe your hands down and then you go in get your stuff and they're constantly in there wiping everything down but that's not all the stores all the stores aren't doing that and AG Foods is fairly, it's a, a bit more of an expensive store, but just because they do that and they're being socially responsible and trying to keep yeah. everyone clean and making sure everyone in the stores, you know, standing apart, uh, it's way more comfortable to go there and shop. So I just wanted to share that little experience, but it was, yeah, for the most part, yeah, I, I share that. I think people are being super respectful to one another and keeping their distance and still saying hello. And um, it's just, weird man it's just so weird to walk down a sidewalk and you know someone takes a really wide berth around you and it's it's just like yeah. i don't know i'm not sick i'm like whoa you get it get all personal about it. <laughs> you know so but yeah it's been uh yeah. i think it's going to change a lot <laughs> I, I heard a stat that only like 20 percent of the people wash their hands after they use the bathroom is that right i don't know where i heard that from Oof. and that's i can't cite that but i was just like wow that's crazy that's crazy <laughs> pretty bananas i I wouldn't go there (laughs) yeah so so how are you um recommending you know we we touched on the word connected connection comes up a little bit Mm -hmm. you know like you said was it your your kids who can't you know obviously they can't see grandma grandpa 
Mm-hmm. Um, so how are you? Um, and that's hard. That's really hard on the, on the, the older people in our communities, right? Because a lot of times that's their, their life fuel is, is to be social. Um, yeah. how are you advising people to stay connected? Well, I, I think number one, it's what they're comfortable with. Um, you know, there's, there's, a um, the, the under response is a concern, you know, where people were like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to still go and visit, you know, Graham across the street. Mm-hmm. Like, no, you're not. And I've had a lot of, uh, a lot of conversations with people my age, whose parents are, are, are older, who are really having a tough time sort of controlling or educating their, their parents. And for, for the young people, I think that's one of the hardest things is like, now you access, now you're teaching and engaging um, all populations in how do you effectively use technology uh, so that they can uh, reach out, so to speak, and see them and participate with them. And, you know, for I've heard everything from like, you know, it's, it's grandma and grandpa time. So, you know, they put the iPad with grandma and grandpa on the couch and then the kids play in the living room and that's, they, that's what they'd be doing at dinner. And so grandma and grandpa are there with dinner and they're, you know, like they, they want the, the representation and the engagement and the conversation to all the way to, you know, people saying like, I'm just going to put it out there that I'm having a party on Friday uh, and uh, anybody wants to join me on Zoom and like a whole bunch of people will come and, you know, and they'll figure out how to not talk over one another and all those kinds of things. I mean, there's some different social roles and uh, that go along with using technology, but ultimately it's coming down to what people are number one aware of, number two comfortable with, and, and number three feel secure in using. And that that's the hard thing I think for for a, a range of populations is what do they feel most secure using? Uh, and so in some cases it's teaching, and I think that's what's it's one of the neat factors for um, young people to teach older people about is how can I effectively use this technology? What does it look like to, to get on FaceTime or to use Zoom or to be on Skype or something like that? And that allows them to, to connect. And the, I guess the, I don't know, the, the use of it, the overuse of it, I don't think it's overuse, but it's been neat to see things that, people are connecting with people they haven't connected with in a long time. Right. And so they're using the time to reach out even further than they ordinarily would on a daily basis because the world has been interrupted. So they're seeing the value of social connectedness in a way that they, I I don't think took it for granted, just felt like they were too busy to achieve. So there's, there's a real sense of connectedness or relatedness that's much higher uh, as an emphasis to keep people grounded, to keep people healthy. Uh, and well, and so I think it's neat to see the increased emphasis to be healthy that way um, for for a range of populations, kids all the way through to to older adults. What do you think about social networking during this time? Do you think uh, it seems to me that the there's been quite a lot of positivity out there? Like people have been really spreading, like those. Um, I don't know. My wife keeps getting into these things. Like I think now she has to dress up as like an eighties aerobics person or something and send, you know what I mean? Like there's all these really, uh, um, interesting ways to kind of connect and make people laugh. And, um, we're lucky to live in a time where we can do that. Like can you imagine a hundred years ago 
um, yep. what was it, the, the Spanish <laughs> flu or whatever. And, <laughs> yeah. and not only did you, you would have no idea what was going on. None, you know, and if you did hear, it was like, you know, through the grapevine, you have no idea how to trust it. We're so lucky that we can use mm -hmm. technology to connect. Yeah. yeah it's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, I, I like the, some of the ways, you know, the, the C10 do 10 movement for pushups and, you know, like I've seen, I follow a lot of athletes, so that's kind of some of the things that they're doing, but you know, the theme stuff doesn't, it's not unique to only a group of people. Mm -hmm. The challenge becomes a, a rampant sort of thing and the rampant sort of thing allows people to to feel like they're a part of something or connected to something even if it's a fleeting one week challenge or one week kind of thing that connectedness is like hey i'm thinking about you do something that makes me laugh because you always do or do something that makes me think about you because you always do and i think the consciousness for that is so much greater and it's really a quite a positive um spin-off because People are trying to find other ways to let others know that you're thinking about them mm. and not just in a world thinking about you, mm. right? In a fun way, in a public way, in a silly way, in a, in a more than one person way. And, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of like athletic communities getting together, you know, in, in their groups, right? So a team of people will do, you know, so for instance, a volleyball challenge or a basketball challenge or a soccer challenge or something. And, like that group will have their own little challenge and, you know, this team will do, you know, something else like serving challenge or bumping challenge. And, and like they just go person to person to person to person as a way of staying connected. Uh, so I, I, I think it's very cool. But I think the emphasis on staying connected is very cool. I think it really does heighten the importance of, uh, of, of how we're social beings and Maybe I'm saying, you know, what out of line, but how, um, how valuable it is and how maybe we take, sometimes we take those things for granted, not as a general thing, like a sweeping brush, but how simple it is to take them for granted because of technology. And now technology is the medium that's allowing us to actually do it. Right. Yeah. I guess we can't use the term going viral anymore. Hey. <laughs> Yeah, you might. Yeah, it tends to break off. Hate little. speech. Hate speech. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you try not to use that one. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty important. I think uh, uh, I read something the other day that, that was a catalyst for me to just reach out to a bunch of people and just say, you know, because I think sometimes we're like, hey, how's it going? But we don't really, you know, hey, how's it going? But we don't really care. You know, we care, but there's mm -hmm. not as much intention in in that anymore but like but now it's like how are you how are you like i asked you at the beginning it's like how are you doing you know because i know you went through some stuff there too and you know having to be totally removed from you know psychology is a very connected social same room kind of thing and it, it must be odd to to uh, adapt to that where you're you're doing sessions with your athletes or or with other clients remotely, it must be just strange. It's it's like I've I've always, well, I'm gonna say I've always done it. I've done it for a really long period of time. It's just I've done a lot more lately. And where I've been, um, or most of us been in the field, is like, is this is this helpful? Is it making somebody more 
nervous or more stressed. Uh, it brings up ethical issues like how do you confirm that that's actually your client? Um, you know, those kinds of things because it, like, I can't tell, like, there could be 12 people sitting with you. I can't guarantee confidentiality if 12 people are sitting with you. Whereas if you're sitting in my office, I can right. guarantee that it's just you and I. Yeah. Right. And so there's a facet there that, that is really sometimes concerning because then that goes the other way. It does the person who's speaking with me believe that there's just me right. sitting in this office. And so we go over confidentiality and those kinds of things. So there's just another level sometimes of concern or a different level of concern, right? And that, that is unknown that has to be a little bit more um, spoken to, just like anything else it has to be spoken to in the level of confidentiality. So, but the connectedness part is, is um, I miss people. Yeah. I really, really do. I like being with people. I like being present with them. And I think that's one of the assets that I have as a, as a practitioner is that when people get to know me as a practitioner, you know, and I've heard this, like they, they'll say to me, like, I feel like I'm having a conversation in my living room. That's a real compliment to me mm. that they feel that comfortable that they plunk down in my office and, you know, kind of curl up in the chair a little bit and, you know, heaters on and they, they got their tea and, you know, and we're talking and, and we're talking about hard stuff sometimes. And, you know, that's a real compliment. And I haven't, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's the case across the computer screen, but I, I believe that people realize that this is a good second choice. Mm. Um, I have some people that are like, I don't know way this is way better for me, Matt. <laughs> like doing <laughs> it told me via that. video? Yeah. They just, they really like that medium. They're like, this is just way better for me. You know, they're very introverted. They're, they're socially mm. anxious. They don't like going out a lot. Um, and so they're like, this is super, you know, can we keep doing this afterwards? Like, yeah. Yeah, talk about it. But for the most part, I think people are, they're really face to face people. So and me too. Yeah, I feel that that way too. I mean, with with doing the podcast, because I I talk to so many people from all over, um, mm -hmm. I I almost make it a, I want it to be kind of mandatory that that there's a, a video connection. Yeah, because yeah. it just I had a <clears throat> I've had a couple like phone calls, uh, phone call type podcasts, and it's just it's it's weird to not be able to see the person emoting because you just all you can use are your ears. To, to wait for the conversation cues, like when someone's done. And, and then, uh, yeah, I think video is super important. Um, part of that. Yeah, that's cool. Well, you know mm -hmm. what, Matt, we talked about a lot of the stuff I was kind of interested in talking about. Did you have some stuff you wanted to yeah. talk about as well? Um, I, I think the, the, we covered a lot of the things that I, uh, have been kind of dealing with. I, the one thing from a professional standpoint that I want to make mention of and in heighten is, the resiliency in, in people and no matter what, like everything from my ultra paranoid client to my under appreciating kind of client, like the, they're, they're coming towards the bandwidth of understanding that has neat layers of, of respect and responsibility and social responsibility. And that's so neat for me because collectively people are and, you don't have a huge number of people. I might have like, you know, 200 clients or something like that to pull from. But for the most part, it's, it's very, very neat to see the thinking and the ideological shift that people have. And so I know that my, my peers uh, have seen a lot of the same things. 
and want to make sure that we echo no matter what, like if like Trudeau or not, uh, no, not a liberal fan or not, or not a conservative fan or an NDP, those things seem to have kind of taken a little bit of a sidestep mm. and like, let's keep humanity healthy and let's make sure that we have a level of responsibility for our environment, for our economy, for our people, for the environment, for the economy, not just for the economy or for the, the industry. It's for the, maybe again, in, in my emphasize, for the first time about all people. And I just, I'm a huge fan of people, as you know. Um, and so it's, it's very, very cool. And I'm very, very passionate about helping reach people in any way. And so I wanted to provide those resources for people as well. Credible resources, psychological resources, easy to read resources as well. Uh, with the Canadian Psychological Association, Psychologist Association of Alberta as well. I'm sure that uh, the, I think it's the British Columbia Psychological Association as well has resources available. Um, so I know worldwide there's great information out there. It's just maybe helping people find it and, and go, okay, I'm not the only person who's experiencing this. So you're not alone. No one is. Mm. So Yeah. I was going to say like, we're, we're here for each other, right? We need to take care of each other. And um, if people are compelled to maybe uh, they were interested in what you had to say and they want to reach out to you, can they do that? And how could they do that? Yeah. Um, my, my webpage is, uh, www.mmbcounseling.com. They can reach me through info at mmbcounseling.com. Um, uh, on social media, sports psych underscore Matt, uh, on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and again, the, the tweets and, and Instagram stuff is, is, uh, you know, it's my opinion of things and it's pretty neutral because <laughs> that's where I stand. Uh, because I like to get to know people first and foremost. So if anybody is interested in reaching out in those ways and, and just following along, by all means, please do. Are you a stoic? In uh, what way? I noticed you posted a couple of things that were, uh, that were uh, like Marcus Aurelius type stuff that was kind of, kind of echoed stoicism. Do you, do you yeah. practice that? Uh, to an extent, yes. Um, I, I would love to believe that you know, I'm, I'm firm and hard in, in one or two things, but I think the things that I have that are, that are more ideological for me or foundational are, are as a humanistic practitioner, I believe being with people. Um, so those are kind of the, the fundamental cores of me as well as curiosity and playfulness. Uh, now, now reaching out to social media, in some cases, it's reflective of what I pe think people want to be able to see or read, but I also want to put it in their hands in order for them to make something of it. Uh, that's usually how I use social media for the most part is to be able to put something out there. It doesn't necessarily reflect my belief in something, but it is definitely, uh, this has resonated for me. I believe there are other people it would resonate with, but make sure it's, you make it yours. So Awesome. I think I'm going to call it, Matt. That was a, that was a really good conversation. Did you enjoy awesome that? Honor. I agree, Steve. Yeah, it was, it was different from our first one, which is, uh, which is very cool. I, I enjoy talking to you. Cool. Uh, like we said, you're very, very fluid. You ask great questions, oh, you make thanks. great connections and, and I'll, I'll allow the conversation to kind of grow and, and I hope to be able to kind of pass that back to you as well. This is a great opportunity for me too. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I really love it. And we should, like, I wanted to make it kind of a semi-regular thing. And I know you're a busy guy. Yeah. But uh, I think you always have uh, things to say that I think are very, very valuable. And uh, I hope I hope people uh, listen to it and take it in and unpack it and 
and put it in their toolbox. So me too. Yeah. That's the only way to use a tool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, definitely. I look forward to catching up with you. Uh, hopefully it's uh, less stressed times and we can, uh, we can talk about whatever topics listeners are, are interested in and awesome. in my areas of expertise. And if not, I can certainly point you in the direction of people. Can. Right on. Well, thanks, right on, Matt. Man. Thanks for your time and thanks, have a good Steve. night. And you too, man. Thank okay. you. Have a good one. Take care. I want to thank Matt Bain again for his time and thank all of you for tuning in as always. Um, if you guys have a question, a psychologically relevant question that you'd like to ask Matt, send it my way. myback 40 podcast at gmail.com. Send it my way and then maybe we can build a framework uh, of a conversation and we can address that. Um, I think that uh, having Matt as a regular guest is a privilege and, and even though uh, we didn't talk about bikes in this episode. Uh, I'm sure that athletics will come up in uh, upcoming future episodes. So if you have a question for Matt and you'd like us to address it on the podcast, send me a message. Like I said, myback40podcast at gmail.com. You can also email me guest suggestions, feedback, and voice intros like Rick's at the beginning. Yeah, let me know what you guys are up to out there in um, on the planet, whether you're touring, riding bikes, uh, riding your trainer inside if you're in full lockdown. I want to hear, I want to hear what motivates you and, and, and how you guys are coping through all this. And I hope that this podcast is helping you cope in some way. Um, I want to thank rebound cycle and cycling 101 for their support by supporting me. You're supporting the my back 40 podcast. And I really, really appreciate it. Don't forget if you have a, if you need a consultation or a bike fit, you can reach out to cycling 101 and use the promo code 101 VIP 20 to save 20% off those services. Well, again, thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I've got more great episodes coming out um, weekly. This one I wanted to put out uh, quicker because I think it's uh, relevant and I wanted to hopefully uh, make it available to people who might be struggling through these times. Um, like I said, we got to take care of each other. So do that. Be courteous. Be kind. Take care of one another. Be well and keep the rubber side down.